It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. What's happening, Reds fans? Welcome in. To the Locked On Reds podcast. It is a Taco Tuesday. I hope you go get yourself some tacos today. Let's talk some Reds. Today, I've got with me on the show Lance McAllister. He's got a nightly show on 700 WLW talking all things Cincinnati sports. He joins me today to talk about our Red Legs. Quite a bit to get to with him. We're going to remember Griffey as yesterday was the 20th anniversary of Ken Griffey Jr. coming back home to Cincinnati. We'll talk about him. We'll look at the team as a whole. We'll also look at a narrative that's going around baseball about these teams that have all this money and yet they don't want to spend it. We'll get into all of that in just a moment, but before we do, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on all the many platforms. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Carr with three F's, and follow the show at Locked On Reds. Also, check out LockedOnReds.com, the blog, for even more content. And make sure to save the number into your phone, 513-549-0159, the Locked On Reds line, for all your reactions, questions, comments, whatever you've got, 513-549-0159. And real quick, too, because I wanted to get my piece on this, I'm going to have a longer form thought you know, lots more probably talking about this throughout the week. I'm planning to write a column on Red Leg Nation, all this different stuff about this asinine idea from Major League Baseball about the playoff expansion. It's, it's terrible. Like, like look, I, I, I don't mind the idea of playoff expansion, but not what they proposed. Uh, I, I'll flesh out some more thoughts on this throughout the week, but my God, that was a terrible idea. Absolutely awful. And I, you know what, though? we got to give credit where credit is due. Way to go. Rob Manfred, you, you, you have united all of Major League Baseball against you. But, yeah, you, you, you've united all of the fan bases. That, that was ugh, awful, awful idea. Anyway, we have Lance on with us today to talk Reds. Lance, how are you doing today? I am fired up, and I'm always excited to talk uh, Reds baseball. Absolutely. It's a very good day. It is sad to say it's 20th anniversary, but it's 20 years ago today. We're, We're recording this on Monday, February the 10th, 20 years ago. Ken Griffey Jr. came home. The kid came home. What do you remember the most about that day? It was just the the I mean the the buildup and, and the rumors that had circulated leading up to it and the thought that this really isn't going to happen. The, the Reds are going to get Ken Griffey Jr. Who, who's going to be able to chase down Hank Aaron. And, and and once it happened, the the frenzy in this city 
Uh, it was it was unreal, and I'll, I'll never forget the the scene in in the room at, at at the ballpark for the announcement. And and Junior steps to the microphone, and and he looks out to everybody, and he says, "Well, I'm home." And it was just the 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 lines outside the ballpark to get tickets in the next 24 hours, and the, and the speculation and the, the the spotlight of Major League Baseball, the city of Cincinnati. Um, I, I don't. There, there's been there's been some good things that have happened to this city since you know the Reds. You know, won a division title on a Jay Bruce walk-off home run. Uh, uh, UC and Xavier have had their moments. FC Cincinnati splashed in, in the city, but but that this moment 20 years ago, um, it, it turned this city upside down, and it, it grabbed the the fringe fans, it grabbed the diehard fans, and it just um, it was a really cool vibe around this city. And then unfortunately, it you know it, it turns into the one of the great what ifs. What if he hadn't been injured? And what if a lot of other other things had gone their way? And it just it, it's it's a weird dynamic of all the excitement and the buildup, and then like the letdown and the the uncomfortable, and it's it, it's a wide range of emotions. Right. I just I look back on it, and I remember I I'll be honest. Back then, I was still you know just like 12 years old and watching tv and stuff and i was like man this is this is pretty awesome i didn't quite grasp how huge it was because like i mean at that point you know i had baseball video games and stuff and i would always play as the res and i would always trade for griffey so it kind of was surreal to me to see it happen in real life but at the same token i always wonder you know we've had some big moments a lot of them uh mixed Kind of a mixed bag, like you mentioned, around all Cincinnati sports since the invention of one Twitter.com. If Twitter invent was you know was around that day, uh, would it have broken in Cincinnati? Yeah, it would. It would have shut down. There would have been investigations. It would have. I mean, it would have. I, I just. I, I think of just how we dealt with breaking news twenty years ago, and just. Hey, the, the fact that there there was a helicopter following the, the the car that picked up Junior from the airport <laughs> to bring him to the ballpark, helicopters following and and live break-ins and just how amped up it would have been beyond that even in in this day and age, it, it would have been crazy. And it, and as you lay it out, I'm still struck by and this is just the, the, the just so sad to consider. His first season with the Reds was his only winning season. I mean, and we think of how much that was going to change the franchise and how moving into a new ballpark and the new ballpark was built for left-handers to hit home runs and, and, and Jim Bowden had his guy. And yet he spent eight and a half seasons here and his first one in 2000 was the only winning season. No one would have come close to believing that had you told him that day, that's how it was going to play out. But that's, that's what happened. That's one of those things where we look back on it and we remember the day and how happy we were. And kind of like you said, it's tempered with the reality of what came next. And I I still, I I never really was one of those people that started to uh, hate on Griffey or something like that. Kind of like fans are starting to do with hating on Joey Votto. And I, I just think it's, Kind of like that uh, that statement from The Dark Knight. Whenever he said you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I, I just always thought, as you were saying that, the, the thought hit me. I just, I've always thought that each side, all parties involved, would, would have liked a do-over on it. I, I think Junior would have liked to have done things differently and embraced the city more. I think the fans, when they look at back on it, probably feel as though 
uh, to a large extent, they shouldn't have been as hard on Junior. There were things that happened out of his control with the injuries. Uh, there right. were things that happened out of his control with ownership. I, uh, the fact is, ownership lied to the fan base. W- w- the Linder, John Allen, on down, uh, they did not raise the payroll. They, they took on they took on Junior's salary, at a, and it was a it was a hometown discount, 116 million. He deferred half of it. I mean, think of that. The, the slack he cut the Reds. He deferred. The Reds are still paying. A, junior deferred money even even this year so the reds had the break they got one of the greatest players in the game they only had to pay him half the money at that point and they didn't take that money and upgrade pitching and everything else they just sold they dangled him like a shiny object in front of the fans and and it was a disservice to junior and and the organization that had won 96 games the year before they didn't do anything else to improve the team and as a result they they didn't win with junior it's just there's just a lot of sad things that happened from that point it's it's interesting you mentioned that because that's a good segue. I, I wanted to talk real quick before we jump into how excited we are for 2020 and this offseason. But there's this narrative going around, and, and especially with the finalizing of the Mookie Betts deal to the Dodgers that, you know, and we talk about this a lot, different radio shows have it, that these billion-dollar baseball teams, billion dollars, they are not million dollars, they are billion-dollar organizations who are worried about their payroll, about how much they're paying their players and have to trade their fan favorites like Mookie Betts. And I mean, the Reds went through that a couple of years ago and albeit slowly, they probably should have done it a lot quicker than they did, but they, these teams get rid of the people that draw fans to the stadiums and they say, well, we got to get under the luxury tax. You know, we just, we just can't, we can't pay that money. When you look at this narrative, like how much, I mean, how much horse crap, for lack of a better word, do you look at this and think of that? Well, it's just become, it's become so easy in the, in the, the game today for teams to try to spin and sell that we're going to rebuild or we, we need to do this and we can't afford this. It's a 10 billion dollar industry. Major League Baseball made more money last year than any year in the history of the game. Um, and we're talking about TV deals and money kicking in from a national standpoint. We're talking about new revenue streams that are opening up for Major League Baseball. We're talking about the embrace of, of, of gambling and how exciting that is for Major League Baseball and the revenue stream there. So it just it makes it and it was kind of it was kind of like new age and kind of cute initially to think, wow, there you know teams can rebuild. And I think honestly, I, I think the Astros to a large extent did a disservice by it, it working and, and that mm-hmm. became the example that every other team showed they said oh look look at look at this look at look at the bottom line here the the astros lost 100 and 104 107 111 in a three-year period and yet they turned it into a world championship well that that one th- that did happen um th- there was also cheating involved in, 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 the, in the most recent story we've we, we've learned but it just became so easy for every other team to kind of hold up that blueprint and say we're going to do the same thing and and, and cut payroll and slash money and we're going to go young and we're not going to spend money and you know i i give the reds credit from this standpoint they they while they were going younger and, and slashing their payroll in, in this delayed rebuild. Um, yeah, they weren't spending a whole lot on the major league level, but they were using the money in the infrastructure down below. And as Dick Williams told me a couple of years ago in studio, I'll never forget this. He said, it's like when you build a house, he said, nobody's going to start building the house at the roof. 
you're going to have to lay the foundation for the house. And, and that's right. digging into the dirt and the mud. And, and that's not pretty looking. But if you don't lay your foundation there, and that meant for this organization, reorganizing its structure throughout the system, changing guys in, in roles who weren't getting the job done, changing their scouting director who, who was missing on players, uh, adding Kyle Bodie, uh, adding more coaches in the, on the levels down below, adding nutritionists, adding time and, and putting stock in you know, leadership camps at West Point to send their players there and nutrition and sleep patterns and all the stuff that I, I get fans really don't care about because it's not happening at the major league level. But it's the basic. If you can't do it at the lower levels, it's never going to come to fruition on the major league level. And that's why I give the, the Reds credit. I, I, I think I'm safe in saying over the last year and a half, they've done more to restructure top to bottom in their system than any team in major league baseball. And they've showed, I, I mean, I know 75 wins is nothing to really get excited about, but they showed that you don't have to do it with a season where you win like 45 games. You know, you don't have to be the Baltimore Orioles. And I love that. And I think that that's one thing that fans, because one of the big narratives this offseason around the Reds was, hey, they need to they need to upgrade a catcher, they need to upgrade a shortstop. Well, they basically upgraded every other position on the field except those two. And what you're talking about with the way that they've restructured the entire organization and the moves that they've done, these last two offseasons have been crazy exciting. Do you have trust? I'm not going to say faith. It's not as if we have to have faith in human beings. But do you have trust in this front office that they are operating on a different level and that while we may not see some of the logic in the moves right now, that they know what they're doing and it's going to pay off during the regular season when it matters the most? No question. And I, I, I go back to something Dick Williams told me last last spring training when I was out there, and I, I took a tour of the facilities, and, and I was struck by how many different cameras there were. And it, he took me into their basically their command center, and it was a wall of probably, I'm going to say, 30 different cameras. And, and they were hooked up on uh, near pitching mounds in batting cages, and it was to do, it was to film everything that was going on. And he said part of what David Bell said when he came in is he gave him a list and said, uh, we need to upgrade this, 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 and this. And, and Dick said at the time, we, we weren't able to upgrade everything at once, but it was going to be implemented. And that implement, Im, implementation has continued this offseason and into this season. There, there is a vision. There's an idea of where they're going. And that was, that was not the case uh, going back uh, in, in previous years, but um, it, it has been probably slower than fans wanted. It, it's been methodical, but I think it is with a vision that this organization hadn't had for, for years. And what they've done this offseason, had I, had I told you or anybody at the start of the offseason, this team would spend $166 million in free agency. You can debate how much of that is legitimate money if Nick Castellanos opts out. I, I get that. But sure. the upgrades they've taken and the key points here, they've spent money without having to spend draft currency. They haven't touched their prospects, and maybe they do, maybe they don't, but they still have the Tyler Stevensons and, and guys like that in the system to be able to use as chips if they need it. If something opens up in spring training or, or towards the trade deadline, that's the flexibility that still remains with this organization. Let's not forget, in, in previous years, right around this time, it was grabbing a Dan Straley or grabbing a Scooter Jeanette or, or, or grabbing a, a Derek Dietrich or grabbing a Jose Iglesias, and those were guys they just mined from the, the, the scrap heap and were able to not just turn them into something tangible to help the team, but then turn them into something they could flip for other assets. So I, I think that's still in play for this organization. To jump into some more excitement 
for the upcoming season and some things that we're going to be looking for here in spring training. But first, spring training is almost here, which means Cactus League action is forthcoming. And if you're planning to get out to Arizona to watch the Reds and any and all other Cactus League teams, the best way to get out there is visit Arizona.com slash spring training. Arizona is the perfect home base for baseball fans because you've got 10 stadiums with 15 major league teams all within a 50-mile radius of greater Phoenix. So you can get to everything. And on top of that, you've got awesome landscapes. I mean, Arizona is known for its outdoor adventures and national parks, lots of great places to explore. But when it comes to the game, I mean, spring training, everyone is so laid back. You can meet your favorite players, get some autographs, and then enjoy some baseball in some nice warm weather. If you're like me and you live in the tri-state area right now, you're freezing your bunions off, head out to Arizona, warm up, and watch some Reds baseball. Best way to do that, visit Arizona.com slash spring training. Go there and book your spring training excursion today. Like you mentioned, if, you, if you'd have told fans how much they were going to spend, I think most of us had almost resigned ourselves to the thought that the way the Reds were going to improve was once again by trading. Like, that's how they improved the rotation so quickly by trading guys for Sonny Gray. And I, I mean, Tanner Rourke was, uh, uh, was he? Oh, crap, I just forgot. Was he a free agent? He was acquired in the Tanner Rainey trade. Remember, they That's traded right. a, a mid-level prospect in Tanner Rainey who hadn't really d- developed any control, uh, had had those issues, but they flipped a, a young guy to get Tanner Roark who slid right into the rotation and took the ball every five days. And then, as you remember, tra- at this most recent trade, line, uh, trade deadline, flipped him to get a, a center field prospect in the Oakland A's system. Had a brain fart that happens sometimes, but yeah, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then so they completely flipped the script, and it's all been free agents this year, and it's it's phenomenal. Let's let's jump into some of these improvements because I think by now we've all seen uh, some different projection systems, whether they be fan graphs or whether they be uh, baseball prospectus, the different things that they use. Obviously. Uh, We're Reds fans. We are super bullish on what they've done. We think that they have improved quite a bit. Now that you've gotten some national perspective on what they think, how do you view this team? Is this a playoff team as as pitchers and catchers report? I think they're, and this is going to sound like a cop-out answer, but I I think they're a contender for the division. I I can't call them the favorite right now. It just seems it seems too big of a leap to say they're going to go from where they were a year ago, 75 wins, two in one offseason, being the favorite to win the division. That sure. discounts the Cardinals, and I'm always hesitant to discount the Cardinals, even though they've lost Marcelo Zuna and, and they've you know, had some smaller moves. But I just think the key is, while the Reds have taken a significant jump up, the rest of the division has come back down. They've taken hits, and, and, and to the Reds' credit and the way I think it plays to their advantage – the Reds have taken Mustakas from the Brewers. They've taken Castellanos and, and Strope from the Cubs. Marcelo Zuna goes someplace else. I, I just think that helps kind of change the dynamics of the division and it gets them into the mid to upper 80s range of, of wins. I think that's reasonable. And then that leaves the, the leeway there for some continued 
tinkering in spring training. And I think, as we mentioned, with the still the payroll flexibility and, and assets flexibility to make a move in the season as we get closer to the deadline, if something presents itself, I, I think they are a contender. And, and I think had I told anybody again at the end of last season after 75 wins, they will be a contender on opening day 2020. Everybody would have jumped at that. Who is the guy that you look at that the Reds have brought in that interests you the most? I think it's Shogo, I mean, but just because he's the unknown of the group. I think I feel in part of the, my offseason narrative for the Reds was they had had, and people get tired of me saying this, but it was just the reality, and it wasn't a knock-on guy. They had a lot of players on the roster who could play on losing teams. They didn't, right. they didn't have enough guys who could play on winning teams. Jose Iglesias is a nice player. Look where Jose Iglesias went. He went to the worst team in baseball on a one-year deal for $3 million. That's not a knock on him. That's just the reality. of Look at Yasiel Puig. The fans wanted Yasiel Puig, and I kept saying they need better players than Puig and Iglesias, and they've mm-hmm. upgraded with more known commodities, proven. You, you can write down on a, on a piece of paper what you think you're going to get from Moustakas and Castellanos, and at the end of the year, open up that envelope, and you're going to be pretty close. They needed guys like that. Shogo is the one who is more of the wild card because you don't know how it's going to translate from Japan to here. Um, he can play the three positions. He can bat lead off for you. If he can be what they hope he is, if he, I mean, think of what he, he how he changes the, the this team hasn't had a, a leadoff hitter since Shinsu Chu in 2013, who got on base at a and at that point he got on a 41 percent clip. If Shogo gets, I mean, up into the the 37 percent range, it just changes how the rest of this lineup kind of falls into place from a threat standpoint. That's that's one thing that uh, there's been a lot of projection systems that have looked at him. I know that Zips at Fangraphs kind of had him. I mean, not not bad, but not super exciting numbers, but yeah. at least serviceable numbers. But then also, Baseball Prospectus came out with their projections, and they were super bullish. Kind of like you said, the thirty-seven percent on base percentage. I think his OPS as a whole was over eight sixty. Man, oh man, that would be that would be amazing. If, if, if that happens, yeah, I, I just I think the thing that helps the trans me at least feel comfortable about how it transitions, um, he he has a an understanding of the strike zone. He has a working knowledge. He has plate discipline that plays. I think on any level, if you understand the strike zone, you can be patient at the plate. If you can work deep into counts. Uh, yeah, there's going to be the adjustment, and, and he's going to be seeing pitchers for the first time. Yet they're going to be seeing him for the first time. I, I just think, you know, we can throw around what did Aoki do? What did Ichiro do? Those are wide spectrums of of, uh, of comps that, that I don't feel comfortable getting into. I just think if you give me somebody who knows what he's doing at the plate, he'll figure it out, and uh, I, I think that makes it very exciting for how this offense may operate from top to bottom. I mean, if you – just from a plate discipline standpoint, if you can have Shogo's discipline at the plate, Votto's discipline at the plate, Nick Senzel, if he can stay healthy, he knows what he's doing at the plate. I, I just think that plays well in this lineup and, and stretches out the lineup. Dick Williams said it uh, last week, 10, uh, 10 days ago, when Castellanos was, was uh, officially introduced. He said it strengthens and lengthens our lineup. This lineup needed that. It was too easy to navigate this lineup in previous years, and now it's it's going to be uh, more difficult. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you mention uh, the Puigs and Jose Iglesias and things like that because 
And, and even thinking about like guys like Derek Dietrich, I've seen some fans on Twitter that are just like, boy, can't wait to see Dietrich play. It's like, guys, he's not on the team anymore. But I, 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 I think it's funny. Uh, there was a statement that Joey made. Um, there was a uh, it was a season ticket holder uh, interview at Reds Fest. And Jim Day asked him about the locker room and playing with some fun guys and stuff. And, and it's not as if Jim Day was even looking for an answer like this, but Joey gave this answer and it was almost word for word. He was just like, let me say something. He's like, look, I, I've played on teams with uh, fun guys to be around. I played on teams with guys who aren't so fun to be around. Winning is the great equalizer. I can win with a bunch of jerks and go home and be happy at the end of the day. Like as, as much as fans loved Yasio Puig and, and I mean, I loved Yasio Puig too. I mean, he was a great guy. There is something to be said about the, the, product on the field and what he gave us wasn't something that you're going to say well this team is now a playoff team because they've added a Yasiel Puig I mean we had him they we weren't we weren't winning with him so they had to move on and I think they've moved on with some really great dudes one thing I wanted to talk about with you too before we go I know you've been very gracious with your time I thank you so much um the Reds have added still a little bit of pitching and it was it was they were ranked. It was interesting because MLB came out with a couple of different rankings that were completely opposite. They said that they're the best rotation in the NL Central, but then they also rated Luis Castillo as the 18th best opening day star, which I thought was just <laughs> garbage. Uh, when you when you look at this pitching staff, and everyone always says, "Well, you need bullpen help." They went out, they got Pedro Strope, they got some non roster invitees. Do you think this bullpen can do a lot more hoy? Because they held up pretty well in the early part of last season, but then I think they just got tired. Do you think David Bell's experience coupled with this talent that this pitching staff stretches out its usefulness in 2020? I, I think it does. And I, I think what helps, and I was talking about this, it may have been with Chris Welsh the other day, uh, they're, they're going to be better offensively. Think of how many one-run games. It was a ridiculous uh, number yeah. of one-run games. But they, they struggled so much, and there were so many instances in games where David had to go to the bullpen for a, or yeah, take out his starter in, a, in maybe the fifth inning because the pitcher spot was up and they were down 2 to nothing or down 3-1, to one, and he needed to go for the offense at that point. I think by scoring more runs, that domino effect of – will keep pitching the starters in the game a little bit longer, meaning the relievers won't be in the game as early. And I just think each of those dominoes fall based on the offense being better. And I, I, I remember it was a, a regular occurrence during the season. Fans would complain, well, why did he take out his starter? And I said, well, they hadn't scored. They, they, you, you, you have to go. If, you're, if there's two on and the pitcher's coming up in the fifth inning, you're down one or nothing or two nothing or six. No, if you've got the bat on the bench, you're going to go to the bat to try to br- either break open the game or get you back in the game. And that's at the expense of the starting pitcher. I think in a perfect world this year, they're, they, they score more runs, and those moments don't come up as much where he says, man, I, I got to go. I got to get the bat into the, the spot right now to try to get us into the game. And I think he then relies on his starters a little bit more, relies on the relievers a little bit less. And I, I, I think, in a, in a, again, in a perfect world, those uh, dominoes fall into keeping this bullpen uh, fresher. And I, I think what they've done, and yeah, it's been in some guys that maybe fans don't know um, and are maybe some reclamation projects, but I think the depth, a lot of these guys that fans are wondering about will be stashed at AAA, and they'll just be part of a rotation of all those bullpen arms who keep things fresh throughout the season because you're you're going down, you're bringing a guy up who has it, who's kind of been kept on ice at AAA, not used as much, who you're now ready to plug in and use in your bullpen on the major league level. 
Exactly. And I, I think it's interesting because uh, there's lots of, lots of fans that when you talk to them, they're just like, man, they got to get better at one run games. I'm like, dude, the way that they get better at one run games is that they're in less of them. I want them to be in less, uh, you know, not as many one run games as they were last year because they were in so many. And I just remember at the end of every game, it was like, man, let me, let me have a stiff drink here. I need to calm down. Like one run games are killing me. <laughs> well, and, and Jeff, you know, this, it, it was frustrating that a lot of fans answered to losing one run games was you need to bunt more. And it was, you don't need to bunt more. <laughs> you need better players. And that's what they went out and got this year. It's not a matter of giving up an out just to move a runner over who's already in score position at second it's having more guys in the order who can actually get base hits and drive in right getting more guys on base more opportunities to score and better talent to then drive those players in that's what Mustakas and castellanos and guys like that do it was never about needing to bunt more it was about the fact they didn't have a good enough offense they were 12th in runs and 12th in on base percentage that in theory is going to be better and now you're getting me all worked up because I'm fired up. When is opening day? Is it like tomorrow? I can't take this now. <laughs> I know, man. I'm so excited. I got my opening day tickets already. I am uh, I'm so ready to go. Lance, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with me. Uh, uh, you, you guys probably already follow him on Twitter, at Lance McAllister, and listen to his show every single evening. Well, Monday through Friday, 6 to 9, depending on if there's basketball or whatever's going on on 700 WOW. Lance, thanks again, and we'll, we'll do it again soon. Jeff, you're the man. This was a blast. Thanks for the invite, and uh, yes, let's do it again soon. That'll do it for us here on this Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. If you haven't already done so, subscribe on whatever platform you're currently listening to. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs, and follow the show at Locked On Reds. Also, check out the blog at LockedOnReds.com and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. On tomorrow's episode, you're not going to want to miss it. I'm going to jump into the infield. I talked about the outfield uh, two days ago. We're going to look at the infield. Not as much in flux as the outfield situation is for the Reds, but there is still a couple of interesting talking points as we head into spring training. going to break those down. Also, one of the final, there's only a couple of segments left of Jib Jab with Joey. If if you've missed any of those, it was a great chat that Joey Votto had with season ticket holders at Reds Fest. And I, I got a lot of good stuff from that. Only a couple more segments left of that. One of them will be tomorrow, and you won't want to miss it. This is the Locked On Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr, and I will talk to you all tomorrow. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.